Father, I thank you for Archdeacon Jean and her willingness to come uh, and serve us this morning. Father, I pray that you would fill her with your spirit and that you would um, bless her as she um, shares with us from your word this morning. And Lord, we ask you to speak through her today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, it's really good to be with you. And uh, although we're small in number, uh, we, as I was saying, we worship the angels, don't we? So and it's good to gather around God's, ta- uh, God's word. And uh, so I hope that this will be... Um, uh, challenging for you. I hope it will be stimulating. And, and, and as we're smaller number, if you actually want to ask a question in the middle of it, I might be in a flow. But we can stop. Uh, I, I am adaptable. I know. Probably you're right, actually. Now, uh, as I was uh, praying about this, because I was saying to Jason, this is not the easiest piece of scripture, because it's in the middle of a passage that's quite difficult uh, to, to split up. So um, there will be some references backwards and forwards to different things. So bear with me as I go. Now, I was uh, recently relieved to find out that I am not the only one who forgets things. And uh, I was reading some research by a PhD research, researcher called uh, Karen Bowler. And uh, she is, uh, does a lot of research into neurodiversity. I'm dyslexic, so I'm quite interested in that because I didn't realise I was dyslexic until I was, had my, well, my third child, so I've been in my 30s, and all of our children are dyslexic. So it's just very fascinating for you. I was a nurse before, if you weren't aware. Uh, and uh, her research um, basically says everybody, effectively, forgets at one time or another. We often put it down to age. Uh, and there are top, there are, she's come up with um, six top things that people forget, and here they are. At number six, we have 42% of people forget faces. Uh, five, uh, number five, 49% of us forget what's been said to us. Anybody relate to that one? Uh, now, this is one for me. Number four, 53% of us forget words. I do that all the time, terrible. Number three, 57% of us forget telephone numbers. Not surprising. Number two, so ladies, we can't tell uh, our menfolk off for this one. 60% of us forget where something is. Um, And who can think what number one is? Names. A staggering 83% of us forget names. That's staggering, isn't it? So it's not just me. And uh, she claims to forget is, is to be human. Um, apparently, there's something called interference theology, which suggests that we forget when different memories interfere with one another. And interesting, the more similar the events are to one another, the more likely we are to forget. It's just fascinating research. Now, as a result of this, you might wonder why she's doing this research. She, part of her research is that she was looking at change as well. And she was saying, as a result of our our, um, ability to forget, it's sometimes easy to hold on to what we know and feel comfortable with than to truly grasp hold of something that is different or surprises us, even if that that thing might be the truer proposition, the way forwards. It makes it quite difficult for us. And when I read this passage in Colossians, it struck me that this passage that we had before us um, kind of falls into that category. There's a great deal of forgetfulness happening. And up until this point in the passage, Paul has spent 
quite a lot of time reminding the Colossians of, of who it is they believe in and why. And from the moment Paul puts pen to paper, he begins to write about King Jesus. It's interesting that in this book, he specifically talks about King Jesus. He reminds them again and again and again in, in actually a quite a short um, sort of space of words, and that's not like Paul, <laughs> that they have been delivered from darkness and transferred into the light. And Jesus is the one in whom they have found redemption and life. He writes at one point, he is the image of God, the invisible one, the firstborn of all creation, for in him all things were created, and he has made peace for them through his blood on the cross. Amazing words. But yet, it's very clear that the Colossians have been brought into the light of Christ, but now are being persuaded to move back into what Paul calls the shadows. They are forgetting their freedom. And Paul does everything he can to remind them of that. And so he begins this passage by this wonderful word, therefore. Therefore, he writes, therefore remember God has made you alive in Christ. Therefore remember your sins are forgiven. Therefore, because he's disarmed the enemy and all his powers, because Jesus has triumphed on the cross. Often when we're in struggles and difficulties, I think we have a tendency to forget that our enemy has been disarmed because it doesn't always feel like that, does it? And he goes on, therefore remember, let no one judge you for the life you lead in and with Christ Jesus because you are free. Now it strikes me that free doesn't compute in a world in which you're expected to pay for everything you get. It doesn't add up in a world where you're supposed to earn and deserve what you have. Free doesn't add up in a world where you must pay off all your debts and earn the favour. But this isn't just about money, is it? It's also about the expectations and the trans transactions in our relationships. This can go into, and into all that we do. How many of us can be dragged into wrong perceptions of those that we know, even our standing with God? Our assumptions of what people want from us and our assumptions from what God wants from us. I mean, let's face it, can anything be free? And it's hard to imagine, just as the disciples in Paul's day couldn't, that anything is free. What will it cost me? Surely there's a catch here. I remember um, a couple of years ago doing some sort of acts of kindness on the street, and I think it was around Easter we were giving out chocolate bars. People were hugely reluctant even to take a chocolate bar. What's the catch? Can anything be free? Now as I was reading through the passage it struck me that perhaps the undermining of the freedoms of the Colossians had come from the fact they were so used to having to do so much. They'd been in a pagan society. All those rituals. Perhaps they felt that they couldn't accept just free, they needed to be doing more. Don't handle this, don't taste that, don't touch this. Detailed regulations, self-discipline, 
perhaps this is what they needed to feel that they were making real advances in their moral and spiritual life. But Paul says very clearly, that's all an illusion. It's a street leading to a dead end. Often people will say to me, oh, you know, are you religious? Actually, I say, no, I'm a woman of faith. I'm not religious. Because it strikes me that religion focuses purely on the detail of things that you're allowed to do or not, can drag us into thoughtless ritual, but won't help us attain the goal that we're seeking. Paul is very clear that we need to belong to God's new world. We need to be part of that new creation to replace the old. True human life in all its fullness, genuine holiness and wholeness can only be found in Christ Jesus and his transforming power. And Paul longs for the Colossians and for us, it seems to me, to understand that when we've put our trust in Jesus, if we believe that he has died and risen again, if we believe truly that we are his and he is ours, then we have real freedom. And I think learning to believe that, sometimes it doesn't feel like that. Sometimes we don't feel worthy enough. Sometimes we feel we've made a mistake. Sometimes we feel we slip into, I've not prayed enough, I've not read my Bible enough. Learning to know that our identity in Christ never changes because when God looks at us, he sees Christ. And when we go to God through Christ, he sees us perfect and whole. So learning to believe what in this moment in time doesn't feel true, I think is part of being a Christian. That's what the life of faith is all about, knowing our true identity in Jesus. That's what it means to live a grace-filled life. Someone once suggested to me that the Bible is a gift catalogue of the world become flesh. Jesus, the world become flesh, Emmanuel, is the one who graces our lives water with wine, graces our troubled hearts with peace, graces our thirst with living water, graces our hunger with loaves and fishes, graces our paralysed legs to stand up and walk, graces our blindness with eyes to see, graces our sins with forgiveness, graces our prodigal trips to the distant country with a homecoming party, graces our dead parts with new life, graces our life with life abundant. All that and more entered into our lives when the word became flesh and lived among us. And from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. Grace upon grace, gift upon gift. So what might that look like in our lives today? Are we struggling with the concept that maybe we're not worthy? There must be more I need to do. Jesus loves you as you are. If you never changed, he would not love you any less. But he does call us to transforming life. But we need to listen to him sometimes 
to see what that might entail. Not others, but what Jesus is saying into our lives. Is there anything this morning robbing you of your freedom in Christ? Paul writes in Galatians, a verse that I'm sure many of you are familiar with, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Do not be burdened again with a yoke of slavery. This is what was happening to the Colossians as they were being dragged into the shadows. A yoke of slavery was being put again on their shoulders. Is there anything that is binding you this morning? Anything that's whispering in your ear that says, you have to do this, you can't touch this, you're not good enough. If you want to be free, we only need to do what that song was telling us earlier, turn our eyes towards Jesus, look full in his wonderful face. In Christ, the truth is you're already there. You just need to accept his grace, step into his fullness, and look into his face. Now, I don't know you at all, I know we're small in number, but I just want to say, if any of you don't know who Jesus is, but you want to taste that freedom and grace I've been talking about, I'm sure that uh, Jason and I would love to pray with you. And if you're stuck in a place of bondage, you're stuck in a place where you want to taste freedom, again, I'm sure that after the service, we'll be more than willing just to ask God's blessing and help you to turn your eyes upon Jesus. Amen.